Martin Ferris, a former Sinn Féin TD from County Kerry, was an IRA prisoner in Portlaoise Jail in 1981, having spent 47 days on hunger strike himself in 1977. In this Cúhina episode, he reflects on the tradition of hunger strike in the campaign for Irish freedom and on the continuous failure of the British government to criminalise that struggle. Well, hunger strike has always been uh, a weapon of last resort for prisoners who are living in terrible conditions uh, to, preserve, to preserve their political status, uh, to beat criminalisation. And uh, from our perspective as Republicans, uh, since 1917, when Tomás Ashe died in 1917, uh, after five days in hunger, hunger strike after being forced fed, uh, 22 uh, comrades of ours have died. And, and during that period. And uh, I suppose the most recent, 1981, when our 10 comrades died, uh, just a few years previous to that, five or six years previous to that, you had Michael Gohan and Frank Stagdown. And at all times, it was uh, the ultimate sacrifice by volunteers to protect the integrity, to protect the, the politics of our struggle, and to deny our opponents and our enemies to try and criminalize us. And uh, Certainly the most recent one, and probably the most recent of all our memories who lived through that, would have been 1981, when Bobby Sands um, went on hunger strike on the 1st of March. And there's only a few months previous to that, you had seven uh, POWs at that time in the hit blocks. Uh, the Pendarki uh, Hughes and his six comrades were on hunger strike and thought we had a settlement. And then that led into the 1981 period. Uh, at that time, I was living in Kerry. I had been in prison, just been out of prison a couple of years, uh, out of Port Leash, where we had been on hunger strike for uh, 47 days. And uh, uh, we were, all of us who were active Republicans were involved and we were trying to get people from various uh, political persuasions to support us. And the amount of supporters came in behind the, the Bobby Sands and his comrades and indeed the previous hunger strike was phenomenal. Uh, tens of thousands of people, every practically every uh, major town in the country had big protests, black flags, and the whole lot in support of us. And uh, I, you know that they left us a huge legacy. Uh, they also left us uh, huge inspiration to continue with the struggle and to try and achieve the ends and objectives of what Irish Republicans stand for. And, uh, and we are in this place today that on the shoulders of those great comrades of ours that has brought us to where we are. Tomás Ash, when he went on hunger strike, it was in, uh, I think it was August 1917, and uh, he was serving, I think, six or eight months in, in prison by uh, at that time for, for public speaking and incitement. And he went on hunger strike, and for five days he was forced And uh, he died a terrible death, obviously. And if you look at this, Jerry Kelly and the Price sisters and Hugh Feeney, they were forced for 265 days. And you look at Michael Gohan, Michael Gohan was being forced and actually, it, it, like Tomas Ash, it killed him as well. So you had that continuity of, of struggle. And then in, in the 1920, you had uh, Thomas McSweeney on hunger strike. And he was 74 days on hunger strike. And it was, it, it put the British government and the British establishment in the dock worldwide. Uh, 
It was phenomenal. And hunger strikes have always, uh, with the right across the world, but particularly where the Irish desperate, you know, have moved to whether it's the continent, whether it's uh, London, Birmingham, or whether it's New York or any part of America, they've always rallied around because it has struck an emotional card for, for Irish people living anywhere in the world. And obviously, you know, not just that, you have uh, uh, other organisations, progressive organisations, polit- progressive political parties that have always understood uh, the righteousness of our struggle and the righteousness of hunger strikers in protecting that struggle. And, and I think that has been the case. Um, and, you know, like we've had 22 hunger strikers have died since the Mars Ash. And each and every one of them, many of them were forgotten because there was, there was three and four of them died together uh, as time went on. And when we wrote that book, uh, Hunger for Justice, that was to maintain them, their memory and their, their sacrifice. And obviously their inspiration for all of us to, to, uh, to adhere to enough to try and deliver the aims and objectives of why they were on hunger strike, which is no different than the 10 that died in 1981. In Portland, prison in 1976, uh, the Minister for Justice, Paddy Coney, supported by the Minister for Post and Telegraphs, Conor Cruz O'Brien, two infamous characters in, in, uh, in the, in the 26-county political establishment. Along with Ryan Mason, we believe they designed a strategy to criminalise the struggle. And uh, it started in Portlaoise, and for, from 1976, early 76, right through until March uh, 77. Uh, the conditions in which the political prisoners were being held in Portlaoise prison was one of brutality, daily beatings, daily subsection, uh, trying to individualise us to break the, the IRA unit within the prison, and it inevitably led to a hunger strike, of which 20 of us took part in. And that hunger strike lasted for 47 days. Um, it also was the catalyst for the election that took place. It ended in April. The election took place, I think, in May or early June. And Conor Cruz O'Brien lost his seat, Paddy Cooney lost his seat, and the Fine Gael Labour government went out of government. Um, again, I think that um, the hunger strike in Portlaoise played uh, a significant part in shaping public opinion away from uh, the criminalisation policy that was being implemented by uh, the Fine Gael Labour government at that time. And the significance of the two major the two major characters, Minister for Justice and Minister for Post and Telegraphs, losing their seats uh, from what was a very strong government. Uh, however, who replaced that was Fianna Fáil, uh, and they were, and I say, smart enough to defuse the whole situation within the prison and to grant uh, to recognise uh, the, the the structures, the IRA structures within the prison, and so forth. And, and then in the six counties, you had the criminalisation attempts in Lankesh. So they went hand in hand, in my view. There was, it wasn't just the hate blocks. Uh, it, was, uh, it was in the island of Ireland, where there was a free state government at that time, and uh, uh, the British government attempting to break, to break the Republican struggle by breaking the prisoners within the prisons. And that was the, that, I think that was the thinking behind it. And the resilience and the courage and the, the politics of being 
a POW, sustained all of us to confront that. And, and, and that's what happened. And in confronting that, I think both in the six and in the 26 counties, effectively we ended up criminalising the people who were trying to criminalise us. And uh, I, think that the, I think there is no doubt that from an international perspective, particularly in the Hillsbrooks, uh, the, the legacy of Bobby, Bobby Sands and his nine comrades uh, will forever uh, remain in the minds and in the conscience and the heart of uh, free-loving people who wish to have freedom, have justice, have equality. They will remain rock solid in their mindset as compared to the likes of Thatcher and Paddy Cooney and O'Brien, that they are con confined to the dustbin of history. And there's, I think there's no doubt about that. Like, who talked about Mark Margaret Thatcher today? Even her, the people within the so-called UK, the working people within the UK, she had no time for the. She tried to break the, the, the miners' strikes. Uh, she attacked every, every type of... Uh, social policies that were there to benefit the people most in need. She undermined the tax law. That's what she's remembered for. But Bobby's hands and comrades and indeed all of, all of our patriot dead are remembered for somebody for confronting injustice and fighting for justice and equality for all. The, I want to speak, I'm speaking personally from my experiences within in Port Leash at that time, where the state and the prison management uh, directed to and supported by uh, the government of the day, uh, they believe by individualising us, uh, breaking that, uh, that's, that internal support within the prison for each other, uh, they thought by doing that, that they would break the resolve and the will of the prisoners, of the POWs, uh, to, to have that political bond, a political connection. Uh, to our struggle, they thought by doing that they would defeat the struggle. That is my view. Um, but I, I, even so I spent 13 years in prison, and some of us, you know, conditions were quite good and for quite a good part of that, were reasonably good. So, uh, but I almost felt that the harder they came down on us, the more brutal and the more um, aggressive. Uh, that they were towards us, they actually strengthened us. And uh, because while they were doing that, we were focused on each other, trying to help each other, to protect each other, whereas they were focused on trying to break us up and make us individuals rather than part of an IRA unit within the prison. It strengthened us. And, uh, uh, you know, like it's... Uh, at that period of time, many of us were mostly a year into solitary confinement, um, totally isolated a year. And every day when you would be in the yard and walk on your own in the yard at seven or eight, past six in the morning, you'd have comrades up on the window shouting out, giving you the news and so forth, because you had nothing uh, while you were in solitary. They'd be shouting out. And every time they, if they were caught up recognised and they didn't care, they were put down the boards. And uh, they had enough room for them all down the boards. So we... we, we we maintain that type of contact with each other and that uh, unity of strength collectively. We maintain that and uh, that, that became hugely important. Uh, but I suppose really you were able to maintain that because you had the politics of why you were in there. 
and when you had the politics and the, and the understanding of what that was about, uh, that, that resolve and that commitment and that determination uh, to each other and to our struggle um, was um, a, a big, big factor. And I've no doubt that was the same in the blocks. Like, you know what I mean? I've read everything I've read about the hate blocks and all the comrades I've met that have been through the hate blocks and have relayed to me uh, the ingenuity of how, how to make, maintain contact and isolation. Uh, the, uh, you know, how to, if, if somebody was in a bad place or there was, you know, they had difficulties outside of the prison that was affecting them the way we rallied around each other. Uh, we supported each other. If one person was back at a bad search and was beat up, uh, we'd be looking for the screw that done that to see could we get him back, you know, and uh, that, was part, that was a big part of, uh, like, if you touch one, you touch it all because we were, that bond was there and that strength of unity. Uh, uh, of what we were about. All of that, I think, played a significant role uh, in maybe, like I, I've uh, spoken to some prison officers that were part of that regime. And uh, to one that will tell you that, that, uh, that they had admiration, believe it or not, that's a total perspective, they had admiration for our strengths. And, uh, and uh, like because they are dealing maybe with people involved in criminality in the criminal world now, and they, 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 when they were they look back at us, they said they had admiration for the way that we were able to keep together, be strong, and be strong together, and not to not to succumb to the injustices that were trying to inflict upon us, you know. At the beginning, um, you see, we in, in Portlaoise. We were probably in isolation for the best part of 12 months, quite a number of us for the full 12 months, and others in, in and out of it. Uh, the prison visits were so uh, controlled that you had a table that width, you had perspex gone up that high on both sides, and you had wire mesh on both sides, and you had a prison officer sitting here and a prison officer sitting there. And make one mention of the prison, or uh, one mention of the the, the the, the struggle, the party, visits were closed down. So it became a situation that the, the visits were so... Uh, even, even a visit with a wife or, the, or children was almost impossible because they asked you how you, what were things, things are not good in here, closed down. So you had, a, you had all of that. Uh, and the prison officers had to implement that, they were directed to do that. But those of us that was down and, and, and most of us who were in solitary and so forth, we were unaware of what was happening on the outside because we had no way of knowing. We had no way of passing the common and out because of the fact that you were totally uh, isolated from your, uh, from your, your visitors. There was no, no contact whatsoever. So when the, the hunger strike started, uh, most of the prisoners were in the main block and they had access to newspapers and things like that. Those who were on the hunger, uh, on the hunger strike, the 20, 20 of us were totally removed. But they, they had to leave us go to Mass. And when we went to Mass anyway, uh, they decided they would build a cage, a big cage for us. And we were put into this cage. And uh, we were in the cage anyway, and again, it was in uh, your comrades would be outside the cage, and there'd be a line of 
the prison officers in the cage and outside the cage. So to break that, we decided we look for communion, holy communion. Now, most of us wouldn't, well, not church goers, but we look for holy communion. And uh, the priest would have to come down and he would have to try and put the communion through the wire mesh to give to the, the president, the, the, the POW. And uh, that broke down. And eventually we were able to get him away from the cage and we'd have to come out of the cage and walk up to get communion and get your compass. So you knew what was happening. That's how you knew how things were happening. Uh, but as it, as it progressed, uh, I think after about 35 days, we were all moved. At that stage, everybody had been moved to the Corrie Military Hospital. And when we were in the Corrie Military Hospital, you had uh, trade union leaders came to visit. Uh, Tahi O'Connell and Kevin Mallon were leading the hunger strike, and they were, we were on the same, we were all in the same, the same days. Um, when they came to visit them, uh, they couldn't get to see the rest of us. And they were, they were, were held in different little uh, compartments uh, within the, the prison hospital. So, Father Des Wilson and Father Pierce O'Dowell, two Republican priests, they came to visit us to give us absolution. And uh, uh, when they, you got a good sense of what was happening then, a very good sense. Mm-hmm. And finally they had to, after 45 days, they allowed us to have a visit. That was the first visit any of us had that was on the hunger strike. 45 days. And at that stage, many of us were uh, in pretty bad shape at that time. And, and from my personal perspective, my mother uh, and my brother, my, my father was dead, but only two, three, and my, I have one brother. They came to see me, and again, you had that. And I was wheeled out in a wheelchair and uh, looked in, and I will never forget the shock on my mother's face. But she stopped like that. And she stood up and she put her hands on the wire. She says, uh, I will back you for whatever you want to do. I back you 100%. Under no pressure from me or Brian. And that was, it was only then really I felt that I could see it out, you know. And, uh, but uh, it was the same for, 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 for other comrades. And then, the, you know, that uh, what we didn't really know was happening, apparently it was quite uh, in areas where the, the, the hunger strikers were from. It was mobilisation, big mobilisation, right across the whole political spectrum in support of them, in particular from Fianna Fáil members. Uh, hard to, see, they had been in opposition at that time. And uh, there was uh, petitions. Uh, I think that in the opposition, uh, in the area where I'm from, I think maybe about 800 people signed it uh, out of about, say, 830 signed it out of about 832 people in the palace. Two didn't sign it. Out of there and give you a sense of where where, 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 where public opinion was at. And, and people going around collecting the, the, the signatures from door to door. You had a Fianna Fáil person, you had a Sinn Féin person, and you had a, a, a community person. And they went to, they've done that in other areas as well, I, I, I assume. Actually, even in Crow Park, there was a National League fight between Kerry and Dublin, and some uh, Dublin activists came into the pitch at half time with a big banner uh, support the hunger strikes from uh, in Port Leash. And uh, they were dragged off of the field. And that was when they had to be dragged off of the field by some of the players actually, who were guards. You know what I mean? Dragged them off of the pitch. But uh, that didn't do them any good because when Kerry and Dublin were going to New York later that year, the G- head of the G in New York said he wouldn't allow the three guards that was involved in to play in, in, uh, in, uh, in, in Gaelic Park. So, like it had that, it, was, it had the international aspect of it as well. But uh, 
you know, you, you had that uh, public support, you wouldn't have, we wouldn't have known about it because of the condition we were in. But our families knew about it and everybody, you know, once it came to the end, then you knew the, the level of support you had, which was quite significant for the state, the free state. Well, it's 40 years ago, the 1981 hunger strikes. And for those of us that lived through it and were actively involved in helping and support and doing the best we could, it's still like yesterday. I, I think it was probably the most difficult period that any of us could ever live through because there was a sense of helplessness. That's after Bobby dying. And I think we all knew when it started that somebody was going to have to, somebody was going to die in this hunger strike. And uh, when Bobby got elected, expectations and hope were raised. And then Bobby died. Then Francis died. Reverend Chris Patsy Harold died. And then you were taught at that stage that uh, the, the Brits would give, would give in. There would be a, a, a resolution. Joe MacDonald, right down to Mickey Devine died. And as they died one after the other, they became more and more. Since I remember the riot in, uh, in Dublin, people, thousands of people there on the right started. People were just didn't know what to do. And uh, it was uh, a terrible time. The legacy they have left us, there is no way we will ever allow our struggle to be criminalised or defeated. The legacy they've left us is, has gives us the strength to continue that in pursuit. And I think where we are today, when you look and see how much we've advanced as, a, as an organisation, both politically and how successful we were militarily, uh, which must never be forgotten. The military aspect of our struggle was not of our making, but it certainly brought realisation put to the British and further afield that negotiations around the aspects of Ireland's future um, had to be addressed. And we're still addressing parts of that. Bobby's election, and then you had other, uh, Paddy Agnew in, in, in Loud, Sean McKinnon and Kerry, you had uh, Robert Farrell in, in Cork, you had other POWs put up around the country, and the vote that they got, I think, convinced the Free State that you scratch the surface where. Uh, where Republicans struggle, so, and and the continuity of that struggle, it it didn't stop in 1923. It didn't stop in 1926 when Fianna Fáil, which is I would like to think it was. Uh, it didn't stop in the 40s when De Valera uh, and his his regime at that time, the Fianna Fáil regime, were probably the cruelest part of the. Um, of the history of our struggle, what they've done to Sean McCaughey, Thomas McNeil and Darcy, uh, what they've done to, to those people at that time, and and, uh, and probably one of the most painful periods of, of Republican struggle has been the 40s, when you look back, when you're, when you're studying back along. Nothing could stop that struggle, nothing could stop that struggle. And I, I think the realisation around this, the, just under the surface, it was that, 
desire for a republic and a republican politics to, to, to succeed and to be delivered upon is there and is there today. You can see today, particularly among young people, and in the South in particular, and various opinion polls, where young people want a united Ireland and want to see a united Ireland and will vote for a united Ireland. And that's, 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 that's the legacy of, of, of all, of all uh, generations of struggle, but probably most from the, the hunger strikes of 81. You know, I, I think nearly every college kid at the moment, if you mention Bobby Sands, they know about Bobby Sands. And when they know about Bobby Sands, they know about all the other nine that died as well. And the other uh, 13 that went before before them. Uh, but I would have known their names, but I know about that. There's a continuity of Republican struggle. And the, and the role that hunger, hunger strikes within the prisons played in that struggle. Uh, with terrible loss and terrible consequences for families and people involved in it. And, for, and we should never forget the people who were in the prison that lived through that period. They were there, and particularly I'm just thinking about the blocks in particular. They were there, and there was, when Bobby died and all the others of the nine followed him. They fixed that, well, and had on them, and maybe the census of like, and I suppose the courage of the whole unit, they was queuing up to, to follow them. And that was, I, I think, and that convinced anybody that had any doubts that our struggle will never be defeated. Our struggle will prevail and we will prevail in the not too distant future when we'll see uh, maybe find a, a legacy uh, of our patriot did delivered upon.